0: pray before we get started. Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you tonight. I thank you, Father, for a good, sweet spirit that seems to be with us this evening. I thank you for the good songs that we've heard. I thank you, Father, for the blessed hope that we have. Father, I ask you now to help us as we look in your word this evening. I ask you to get all the glory and all the honor. I pray, Father, if you would, to give me clarity of thought and speech. I realize this, if you don't use me, uh, I can't do anything. It has to be you. Father, I pray you just speak through me, open the hearts to receive, do what needs doing this evening. Father, I'll thank you and praise you for all you do. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. And amen well we've been dealing in I think this is the fourth message that we've dealt with Elijah uh, we uh, can't even remember what, what we did what we did preach on uh, regarding him but uh, this morning we looked at unusual vessels I don't know if that was the word that that I used, but we looked at unusual vessels that God used, and He, in fact, Elijah himself was unusual. The ravens, they they laid down their uh, corrupt meat for a little while, and and brought good meat to Elijah. And looked at the ravens in the little brook. We looked at the, we, we mentioned the little cloud, the empty mill barrel, and then focused in on the widow for a little bit. This evening, I, I want to I wanna go back. I think I, I've said a few things about this, and here's what I really think. I think this evening, what I'm going to say to some of you will not register. I, I don't think it will. I, I think that's because maybe some of you's not been in the way long enough or maybe old enough to really experience the true chastening of the hand of God. I think that. If you've ever truly been chastened by God, you don't forget it. There's been twice in my life that I have been under... And I, I understand he chastens and, and all God's children are chastened. But there, there, is, there is a chastening that you don't forget. And some maybe you do, the degree of chastening. Uh, but if you've never been there, I can remember the, the chastening hand of God. And it's been probably probably 30 years anyway and maybe maybe a little longer. I remember his chastening hand. And that's what we're going to look at this evening. I'm not going to say anything to you that you don't know, but I, I I want to look at what Elijah said to Ahab, and it did not move him. It 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 did not it did not change him. Let's let's look in, in chapter 17 and verse 1. And it says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my, my word. And, and then nothing happened. You, you might have thought that Ahab would say, You're a threat to our nation, and I'm going to take you captive. And you might have thought that uh, uh, you might have had different scenarios for what could have happened. But here, when we look at the children of Israel, keep in mind we're talking about the ten tribes. They never had a godly king. Never had a godly king. They have progressed. First from Solomon's sin to Jeroboam and the two golden calves to now it's Ahab and Baal worship and basically Jehovah worship. They've killed many of Jehovah's prophets or Jezebel has. If you read a little farther in the text, it seems to imply that. And it's at the point that Elijah thinks he's the only one left. So that tells me there's no open worship. But, and so here's what's happened. The nation, the nation has slipped in, or Israel, the ten tribes, have slipped from Solomon who had uh, Moses' law and all those things and just sinned, God chasing by dividing the kingdom. And then we had the two calves. And now we have Baal worship. And there's no worship of Jehovah God. No worship of Jehovah God. So we see the progression. So now Elijah has shown up and he said this to him: There will be no dew nor rain for three, well, for these years. That's how he says it, but according to my word. And so here's, here's what's happened for 70 or 80 years now. Sin has progressively got worse, and sin will get worse in your life if you don't deal with it. That's what I preached first as we came to First Kings. I dealt with that, uh, with that concept, and so now God comes to Ahab, and here's what hit my mind: Why is it that God told Ahab? Or Elijah told Ahab what was going to happen. Why didn't he just chase him? Why, why, why was it this was the punishment that was brought upon Israel? Why not a plague? Why, why not something else? And I think here's, here's what I think is going on. It's a battle with the minds of the people. Now, here's the deal. Baal was the god of rain and fertility. They they gave him credit for uh, the the prosperity or the fertility of the crops and we know we said this historically uh, they were prostitution and immorality going on and tied to Baal, Baal worship. And so here comes a man named Elijah. E-L, the first two letters of his name, means God, J-A-H, is short for Jehovah. So it means, here's a man who comes on the scene with the name of Jehovah God, so it's obvious he's Jehovah God's representative. And he says this to the king of Israel, it's not going to rain, nor nor will there be any due for, it says these years, but for three and a half years. And I think what he, what, what the point is that he's trying to show he's going to show Ahab who the true God is. Now if Baal was truly God, it wouldn't matter what what Elijah said about the rain, Baal would just bring the rain and he'd just bless the crops. But Because what Elijah said transpired as Elijah said it, it should have proved to Ahab that Jehovah God is the true God. Now, are you following what I'm saying there? I think think this whole thing is to the reason he came to him was to prove to him that, that Jehovah God is the God and Baal is not God. And so he tells him in advance what's going to happen. And when it happens, as Elijah says, Ahab should have picked up on that. He should have realized this Baal we're worshiping as the the rain god or the fertility god or however, however you want to look at that is really not God because he couldn't override Jehovah God and the message that Jehovah God sent to him. And so uh, we see, we see, and Ahab should have saw who the true and the living God was from the text. And so when Elijah shows up and declares to Ahab what's going to happen, he's unmoved. I, I don't understand why he was not bothered by what he heard. I wonder and I started thinking about that and I've said this several times already and I think sinners do this all the time. I think he misinterpreted God's long suffering for acceptance of their sins because they had went 70 or 80 years and everything seems to be going pretty good. And all of a sudden God shows up and He's a long-suffering God. But I want to say this. God will not overlook unrepentant sin. He will not do that. But because He's long-suffering, I think it gets in people's mind that either God is going to tolerate that sin or He's going to accept that sin without doing anything about it. But God will never overlook Unrepented sin in your life. He he if he's a just God, he has to deal with that. And I think maybe that's where Ahab was. And then I started thinking, maybe the fleshly gratification of Baal worship uh, just made him, even though he may have known that it was idolatry, maybe he just his flesh was so gratified by it. He didn't want to give it up. I think that's where a lot of of God's people are today. Uh, This charismatic bunch that's out there, it's all fleshly appeal. That's what it is. You can say amen or oh no or whatever you want, but they appeal to the flesh. That's, That's how it is. And maybe if I was trying to build a great big work here, I could just do a few things to appeal to the flesh and man, we could knock the walls out. And y'all know that to be the case. And, and then I thought maybe, maybe his wife, I'm just trying to, and, and, and this is really too much supposition, I know on my part, but I thought this, maybe his wife had such an influence on him he just, even though he may have thought it was the truth, what he, what Elijah said, and that and that Jehovah God was really the true God, but his wife, his family may have had such influence on him, he just wasn't going to change. And can I say there's a lot of there's a lot of God's people, their family tells them how they're going to serve God, whether it's lukewarm or whether whether they can get in where they have to draw the line, they can't, they can't get any more involved in this, you know I'm telling it right. That's where we live in that today. Uh, I wonder maybe if Jezebel didn't have such a, a grasp on Ahab, and you know she was dominant just from the text, if you read far enough, that he could not escape her grasp. I I thought about that. He he may have been spiritually nearsighted. You know there's a lot of God's people who they're blind and cannot see afar off. That is what the Bible says. I I I wanted to read that to you. I thought it might be good for us to look at that. Second Peter chapter number one. Let's let's flip over there just a minute. I want to begin reading in verse number 4, 2 Peter 1. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence. Now listen what it says. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So here we are, we have faith, and the writer's saying this, there's some things that we need to add to our faith. And we're going to see the result if we fail to do this. And beside this, given, verse 5, beside this, given all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall never be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind. Now God's people can be blind if this text is right. And, it, and we know it is. But notice what it says. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. So he is nearsighted. Have you ever seen Christians who are nearsighted? They can see right here. They can see what's going on today but they cannot look down the road and see what their actions are going to create for them spiritually two or three years or five years or ten years down the road. Amen. They're they're nearsighted, but they're blind when it comes to being farsighted. And they are blind because they have not added to their faith. And it goes on to say this, and hath forgotten... But he that let me read the whole verse to give you, uh, uh, so you can get the flow of the verse. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. I I wonder maybe, maybe maybe he was spiritually nearsighted. I think Ahab probably was a lost man, and we know. We know the devil blinds the minds of the lost. We understand that. But I, I read that because I'm going to make application to Ahab to us, and God's people can be blinded. In fact, I may be talking to some of you, and you're blinded. You can't, you can't see far off. You can only see what's going on today and, and, and how that's operating. That's operating. But you cannot you cannot look ahead and and see where it may lead to. And then and here's what I really think the problem is. I read all those to just let you know that here is here is Elijah and he comes and says God's getting ready to judge you. God's getting ready to chasten you. And Ahab just says. The Bible doesn't say he said anything, but give me a little license. He just said, okay. Okay. Big deal. And you know, I think that's where God's people are at today. You can, you can preach, you can preach the most sober message you want to preach, and before we get out the door, we're laughing and joking. Amen. And here's what I really think it is. It could be any of those things. It could be they've not added to the faith and they're just, really they're just babes and they can't see, they really can't see 50 foot in front of them, spiritually speaking. It could be the family influence. It could be their fleshly gratification. And it could be that they just think God's going to tolerate or accept them however it is but I want to tell you what I really think it is what I'm convinced it is I think Ahab did not fear God I don't think there's any fear of God in his life and I think God's people are there I I don't think God's people fear him as they should and because of that Judgment has come on our nation and on our homes and in our lives and we just, we're just we just oblivious to it. We don't fear God. We, and and here's, here's what some people, oh yeah, I fear God. They say it verbally. Their actions don't say it. That's like people saying the Lord's soon coming. They don't believe that. You know that's right. You know they don't believe that. If they did, if you really thought the Lord was coming soon, you'd be out here trying to get somebody ready to go, trying to witness or trying to win them. Isn't that right? And here's what I say. We say we fear God. I I look at how we live our lives and how we respond to the the messages God preaches. And here's what I say about God's people. They They don't fear God. God's blessed us too much. We're just just rolling around our prosperity. And we think we'll always be prosperous. And we're counting on our savings account to take care of our future instead of God. Amen. That's where a lot of God's people are at. Here's Ahab. He's the king. Okay, three and a half years of drought. That's not going to affect me. I'm the king. I can see him now. Hey, that may affect those down and outers, but it's not going to affect me. Man, I've got a good job. I've got a fine palace to live in. I've got got royal clothes to put on. Go ahead. Bring three and a half years of drought. It's not going to make a difference with me. That's where a lot of God's people are at. No fear of God. Let me read a few verses to you. I'm just I'm i just going to give you a few little things and we'll be through tonight. Here's what Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and 13 says. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. By the way, the wisest man that ever lived, he's, he's telling us where he failed and giving us the philosophy on why. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. That's what the Bible says. Fear God. If you've ever truly been chastened of God, in a maybe I ought to say in a severe way, I don't know if that's right or not, the right way to say it, but if you've ever been chastened, you fear the chastening hand of God. I can tell you this, I do not want God's chastening hand on my life. I want to be in, in, in His will and under His pleasure. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 17 says this, Honor all men, love the brotherhood. Now listen to what Peter said, Fear God, fear God, honor the king. Now, here's here's, here's something I, I, I think sometimes maybe we get this a little bit sideways. You can't just say, I'm going to have fear of God, and you have it. If you don't fear God, you just don't fear God. God has to help you with that. That's right. And He will do that through chastening. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew 10 and 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. You, you know. I want to get on on sports again. I hate it. It's just such an easy example for me, and I don't want to do that. We fear somebody setting our young, our young. Uh, children on the bench more than we feel fear God and cast their soul in hell. Isn't that right? We, we fear the employer more than we fear God. We fear fill in the blank more than we fear God. We fear people's laughter and mock, mockery more than we fear God. That's right. I'm telling you right. There's folks will not give a track because they're afraid of the response of the one they're going to give it to. They fear them more than they fear God. We're shouting it out tonight, I can tell, but really what I'm telling you is the truth. God's going to chasten your sin if you don't repent. And you better take that serious because when God, we're going to read it over in Hebrews in a little, little bit. When God chastens, it's grievous. It's grievous to the to to your life. And so here, here's Ahab, and there's no fear. He's not afraid of God. Don't care. Go ahead, say what you want to, man of God. I don't care what you say. Now, what does this mean? I mean, here's what I'm starting saying. Here's Ahab, and he, he is isolated. He is insulated. Maybe that's a better word, insulated, from the chastening hand of God temporarily. We know he's hunting, hunting for grass for his for his livestock just a little bit later, but maybe initially he is insulated. Maybe his wealth can buy him some time. But here's what this means, and sometimes we don't realize the consequences of disobedience to the Word of God and then not fearing God. here's, Here's what this means. This means a collapse of his economy. Agriculture was the foundation of the economy of that day. And, and this drought is going to destroy the, the crops and, and those sort of things. All the, the, the livestock will have no food and nothing to trade on or barter on however they operated back then. He's sitting here thinking about the three and a half years is not going to affect me. But the fact of the matter is, it is. And here's what happens. The reason we don't fear God, we're blinded to who God is. Let me say it again. I've said it multiple times. God cannot look over or pass by unrepentant sin. Whether it's sinners or whether it's saints, God must deal with sin. He's a righteous, just God, and to overlook sin would rob him of those characteristics. Is that not right? That's where we're at. Now, here's what I, I think. There's people saying, yeah, that's right, preacher. Don't you think that's so? I think, I think when we say that, yep, God can't overlook sin, and then we go on with sin in our life. Something doesn't add up. Something doesn't add up, and and I think what will happen, I'll preach this message, and some will never, never lay hold to it. It'll have to be experience in their life before it's real. And experience is a good teacher, but she shows no mercy. That's right. And so here he is. Here's what, here's what Elijah's saying, man, this is going to cripple your 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 kingdom. It's going to cripple it. He just he just passes by. And and here's what else happens when chastening comes. The innocent suffer. You know, we talked about that widow woman today and that little, that little son she had. That little son wasn't an idolater. If he's, if he's young as, I, as he possibly could be, that, that son wasn't an idolater. He, he's an innocent victim. He's an innocent victim of sin and people who fail to repent. Here, here, here's what happens when the chastening hand of God comes. Many times the innocent suffer. And Luke chapter four tells us there's many widows in Israel. That was the implication is they're in the same shape this widow was in, but he went to this widow. No doubt, there's many who died. No doubt, there were children who. Passed away because the parents could not provide food. It's the chastening hand of God, the innocent. The innocent suffer. And mind, we could we could we could go on. Life becomes difficult under the chastening hand of God. Nothing works out right. And here's what happens: It makes sinners mad when God brings chastening. You know, you know what Ahab did? He didn't say, "Oh me, I, I brought I brought Baal worship in and brought this calamity on my kingdom, and I'm sorry for it." He didn't say that. He blamed he blamed Elijah for it. He blamed Elijah. He became angry. He was seeking Elijah's life according to Obadiah chapter 18. My, so many times the chastening hand of God it it causes those who are wicked to, to get harder. You can look in the book of Revelation and see that same truth. And so I just wanted to say a few things about Chastening. That's that's all I wanted to say tonight. I want to go to Hebrews chapter 12. And I I just want to look at this thing of chastening for just a minute. And here's what I think. I I don't think I'm going to help those who have not been there. But if you have been there, this this will maybe strike a chord with you. He starts out in chapter 12. He's talking about uh, laying aside every weight the sin which does so easily beset us and running the race with patience. And then he comes over to the end of the chapter and he says this, Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight path." They're not running at the end of the chapter and he's instructing them on what to do to run, and he comes down about halfway, and he tells them, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners, so apparently there's some opposition. There's some some, uh, uh, trials, some challenges that are attacking the running, And it reminds him of this, when you get out of the race, uh, chastening comes. Chastening comes. God whips you when you get out of the race. I think that's what's being said in chapter 12. You put this all together and put it in its context. And so I just want to look at some little things that it says. We'll start in verse 5. Let's read verse 4. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now, they faced some opposition, but he said it hadn't become blood. It's not physical yet. So it was uh, not that they had been beaten or whipped or whatever might draw blood. Verse 5 says and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children my son despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. Now we're going to see some things that can happen when God chastens you. You can you can have despite in your heart towards the Lord. You can have a disdain for what's going on. Uh, that word uh, despise carries the idea of disesteem or little regard for. You don't appreciate that God's trying to help you. You're just uh, angry and upset and bothered. He says this, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord nor faint when they aren't rebuked of him. Along with chastening comes this thing of being rebuked. And so you can faint. You can faint in the way. You can faint in your mind. Notice verse 3, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. It starts in the mind. If you ever get out of the race, it will start in your mind. That's right. I wonder if anybody in here is thinking about quitting. Anybody thinking about backing up. Selling out. I, I just wonder that. I wonder what's going on in your mind, spiritually speaking. That's something to think about, is it not? Where, where, where are you at in your, in your mind as far as serving God goes? Have you become weary in your mind? If you have and you don't, you don't deal with that, it'll not be long till you'll be out of the race. It won't be long. And when that happens, the chastening hand of God will come. That's how it works. And here's what he says. Don't despise the chastening. Don't faint. And verse 6 says this. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Here's what I want to say to you. Chastening is biblical evidence that the Lord loves you. I mean, you can take it hard if you want to, and it's grievous to the flesh. But the fact of the matter is, when you're chastened, that means God loves you. And, and we can go on down. Let's, let me jump ahead a little bit. Verse 8, verse 7 and 8 tells us chastening is bi- biblical evidence of sonship. If you can live any way you want to, and their chastening hand of God is not on your life, your salvation suspect. Amen. Now, there's, there, there is a multitude of believers who fit that category, and they think everything's all right. I'm telling you, if you can escape the chastening hand of God, there's something wrong in your life and your salvation, let me say it again, your salvation is suspect. Amen. If the Lord loves you, he'll chasten you. And if you're a son, son, you'll be chastened if you've never been chastened, you're not a son. If you've, been, if you've so-called been saved any amount of time. And so I, I, I want you to get a, get a hold of some some of this thing. But notice, notice what else verse 7 says. We're to endure chastening. We're to let it have its work in our lives. What does chastening do? Notice notice what it says. It profits us. Verse 10, For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit. Have you ever just wrongfully grabbed your kid up and out of frustration just, let me use East Tennessee vernacular, just wore him out or her out. not being the parent you ought to be, not, not doing what you're doing in the right way. You just you did it for your profit and not for your child's profit. Our Lord never does that. He never does that. When He whips you, He's trying to help you. And you can despise it and you can grow faint in it and you can struggle with it, but the best thing you can do is just endure it and know God's trying to do a work in your life. Let's let's just read on. I mean it's ABC, a, a sixth grader can dig these little truths out of out of this text. Verse eleven now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous but grievous. Has anything ever grieved your heart? That's what true chastening will do to you. I promise you that. It'll grieve you. It'll grieve you. Nevertheless, afterwards it yield yieldeth let me back up to verse 10. I want to get to the last part of verse 10. But he, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his, what's that word? Holiness. It seems this thing of chastening has to deal with sin in our life. Again. That's what it is. And what chastening does is to move you from where you're at to a place of holiness. He wants you. He wants. I don't even. Surely, I don't need to say this. But he wants us to be a holy people, holy. And then he says, "It it yieldeth in the the last part of verse eleven, the peaceable fruit of righteousness, unto them which are exercised thereby. Righteousness and holiness." That's what God's people ought to be. Otherwise, we're going to be chasing. And then he goes on and he says, you need to repent. You got out of the race, but you need to get back in. Lift up the hands which hang down, the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet. And then it it goes on and tells us other things. But here's, here's all I really wanted to say tonight. I don't think God's people fear God or fear His chastening hand. I, I, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to uh, categorize you or judge you in that. But I look at people's actions, and they just live how they want to live. It's how it appears. It appears to me that we have God's long suffering in our life has caused us. To lose the fear of God in our life, and and here's, here's how it is: when He brings His chastening hand, he's, he's gonna chasten you till He's till He's through with it. And I know that that sounds that sounds uh, elementary, but the fact what I'm trying to say, you're not gonna shortcut the chastening hand of God. Those three and a half years was three and a half years. It was bitter. And here, here's, here's what I, here's what I would just challenge you to do: beg God to help you have the right kind of fear of Him. And I understand He's not up there waiting just to, just to, uh, uh swat you like you swatting a fly. That's not the God we serve. We know that but you get sin in your life and you fail to deal with it, I promise you, God loves you enough to bring chastening in your life. And, and here's King Ahab, he didn't think much about it, but it wasn't long till he got concerned about it. It was a bitter pill to swallow, and it will be for you. Let's bow our heads this evening. That's, that, that's the little thought that I had. And I I just wonder maybe if God spoke to somebody's heart, if if they would be honest enough to just deal with God, just deal, just obey the Holy Spirit of God while the sister plays and these are praying, Maybe, maybe you all just be honest enough to do business with God.